also talk about the, um, uh, you know, you can have a cake, but you can't tell me how to bake it analogy, which is something one of my managers also taught me. Um, and that was, you know, I had to learn at some point to stick up for myself and to say, you know, you want a cake and um, you can't tell me how much flour and sugar and eggs to use. Um, you hired me because I know how to bake really good, delicious cakes. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. Hello again, and welcome to the Leadership 480 podcast from DDI. I'm Craig Irons, and I'll be your host today. With our time today, we're going to talk about one of the most important skills leaders need to employ during every single one of the 480 minutes they have every day. And that skill is empathy. But it seems like for every leader who understands the importance of empathy, there's at least one who just doesn't get it. Well, our guest today is definitely a leader who gets it. Michael Brenner is the CEO of Marketing Insider Group, where he has worked with more than 75 brands to build effective content marketing and employee activation programs. He's also a sought-after speaker and author. And his new book, which we're going to talk about today, is called Mean People Suck, How Empathy Leads to Bigger Profits and a Better Life. Entrepreneur Magazine recently named the book one of its 15 books on business culture you need to read today. Michael Brenner, welcome to the Leadership 480 podcast. Craig, thanks so much for having me. So I want to start by um, diving into something that you bring up right at the outset of your book. And your book's fantastic, by the way. Um, Thanks. <laughs> which is that you have held 53 jobs. And yes. that inspired me to sit down and, and actually make a list of all the jobs I've held. And mm-hmm. I, I, if I'm, my math is right, I think I'm a couple years older than you are. And I think I've held about half as many jobs as you have. <laughs> so mm-hmm. 53 is a very high number. Um, <laughs> you're a marketing consultant, you're a speaker and a writer, but you know, it would seem that holding 53 jobs would make you a bit of an expert on empathy. Is is that the case? Well, I don't know that. I, I think if you have empathy, I don't think you're allowed to call yourself an expert on empathy. Um, that's <laughs> maybe a great that's more maybe that's more humility. I'm not sure, but uh, no, I, I you know I, I don't think the 53 jobs uh, allowed me to have more empathy. I think just uh, really being a human walking this earth and interacting with other people, uh, you know, sort of allows you to, to have, I think, an ability to, to at least comment on empathy, if not necessarily having an expertise. But, you know, empathy is really just something that I think uh, we we need to employ. We have to, we're sort of forced to employ every single day because, um, you know, w- uh, the pings of life happen to all of us, and and uh, we don't want them to happen to us. And because of that, we we feel for others when it happens to them. And and you know, therefore, I think we all pretty much can understand the experience of empathy, unless, of course, you're a psychopath, in which case, um, you know, there's no there's really no hope for you <laughs> when it comes to empathy. But but you know, for the large majority of us, uh, you know, more of us have it than we realize. So. Let's talk about what motivated you to write this book. So your your books in the past have, have been more, you know, marketing focused, but mm-hmm. this one on empathy, you know, was it those 53 jobs and your experiences with those? Um, you know, what was really sort of the uh, the germ of an idea here or the inspiration that led you to sit down and, and write this book? 
Yeah, it was, the, it was, I was actually having a conversation at an event called Content Marketing World where we've met, uh, yes. I think, twice, right? And, Correct. And uh, if not more than, a, more than that. And uh, I was walking down the street to the opening event at the Hard Rock Cafe there in Cleveland, and, and I know you've been there. And, and um, I was talking to the head of an agency at the time. I was a, I was a corporate marketer at, um, at, uh, at a large technology company. And I remember she asked me, she's like, wow, you know, you seem like, um, you know, really personable, humble kind of an executive, what, what would you consider was the secret to your success? And, and it was, it was kind of a question that threw me off. Number one, because I really never considered myself an executive. (laughs) Um, Number two, I certainly didn't consider myself a success. I I still at the time and continue to feel like I have more to accomplish, but it, it just kind of got me to start thinking, well, you know, where have I come from, and and you know, where did I start, and and I started, you know, looking and counting all, like you said, counting all the positions I've had, and you know, of course, I started working at the age of eleven, so I, I or twelve, so I, you know, I, I've started earlier than some people, but um, uh, but you know, I, I was shocked when I reached the number 50 it's actually 52 i count you know being a husband a father um a part-time you know therapist to my kids as as my job number 53 but but um i was just shocked at how many jobs i actually had and and so that was one insight the second one came up a little bit later so uh, you're i know you're familiar but your audience may not be familiar with the 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 first book i wrote was the content formula and i wrote it because as a marketer i was frustrated at the lack of return on investment that most marketers were able to show for their marketing activity. So I, I looked at and I felt it was fairly mathematical, fairly simple to define how to measure the success of a marketing program. And that book was called The Content Formula. And I, you know, I handed that out and I started my career as an independent consultant. And I was going back to people who I'd sent the book to and they still weren't doing you know, the marketing that I think would lead to return on investment. And I asked them why. And in almost every situation, they would say, you know, well, can you, can you replace my boss? Can you, um, can you, you know, teach our company to, to, ha- to suck less? And, you know, it really came down to culture. And so it was the two things, both the, the, you know, sort of reflection on my own success and realizing that I think where I was successful I felt that there was a culture of empathy or I had a mentor who was really empathetic. Um, and my experience with my clients and, and seeing where they struggled was largely not because of skills or technology, but mm-hmm. because of the lack of an, a culture of empathy that allowed them to do their jobs uh, that really got in the way. So that's why I wrote this book. I wrote the book because I believe that empathy is a counterintuitive insight that we think we need to be mean in order to get ahead, but it's really the opposite. It, it's, the, it's the leaders that focus on empathy. It's the companies that focus on a culture of empathy that drive more innovation and more really, frankly, you know, uh, uh, rewarding careers for the people that work there. Right, right. Uh, l- let's talk a bit about the nature of empathy itself. Um, mm. You know, from the research you did for this book, uh, you know, is empathy something we're born with and what does the research say about how hard it is to develop empathy? Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's almost the um, uh, it's almost the first or second question I get from a lot of folks, and uh, which which I, makes me feel like people think that no one has empathy. <laughs> and so uh, so it's interesting. The research, and I, and I talk about this in the book in the early part of the uh, of the uh, of the first couple of chapters. The research shows that we're not actually born with empathy. We we learn it. And um, but we learn it at a super early age. 
And what what we ha- what happens is what the psychologists and, and childhood psychologists realized is the first moment that we understand and appreciate the experience of pain, we realize it's something we don't like. It's unpleasant, and we also realize uh, that it's it's sad when that happens to someone else. And so that's really what happens. There's a connection that we make between the factors that cause us pain and the and the unpleasantness of that feeling, and 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 the desire to not have that feeling happen to other people. And so it, basically, it comes down to this: if you don't like feeling pain, then you generally, if you're human and you're not a psychopath, like I said, will generally not want pain to happen to other people. Now, it starts to get a little complicated as we get older because we start to think, well, if if I have to make a choice, you know, between pain happening to someone else and pain happening to me, I'm going to choose pain happening to someone else. But that doesn't mean that we don't have empathy. In 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 most situations, people will choose pain to not happen to either one, you you or someone else. So 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 empathy is something that we don't need to be taught and and it's it's actually an article I need to write. Do we need to teach empathy? And the answer is no. We all have it. Um, what we need to do is we need to create a society, create organizations that value empathy. And that's the difference between the companies and the people that have it and express it and the companies and the people or leaders that don't. We're talking to Michael Brenner, author of the new book, Mean People Suck, How Empathy Leads to Bigger Profits and a Better Life. Let's talk a bit more about why empathy is so important for individual leaders. I know mm-hmm. that um, in the our DDI courses, uh, one of the foundational concepts that uh, that we impart in those courses is uh, what we call a set of key principles that uh, really help address the personal needs that everyone brings to an interaction. And one of those key principles is the need to listen and to respond with empathy. So it's, it's very, very important for leaders to have empathy as a skill. What can you, you really say about really the, the importance of, of empathy and, and, mm-hmm. and why is it something that maybe doesn't get emphasized as much as it should as yeah. organizations are, are trying to develop their leaders? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, well, I think there's uh, first. Uh, let me talk a little bit about the myth. And I think the the myth that many leaders have when they reach a position of authority is that being a leader means telling people what to do, and uh, which is exactly counter to the point you just made. We need to teach leaders. It's it's sad that we need to teach leaders that listening is important. Um, and the reason we have to say it at all is because the myth that leaders have when they're new to a, a position of authority, the myth that that they're in charge and they should tell people what to do. Right. Leaders are are not put in positions of power in order to tell people what to do. Leaders are put in position of power in order to rally their teams to achieve a common goal. Now, of course, leaders may have more influence in defining what the goal is and maybe even in how to how to in some ways how to achieve that goal. But the large majority of leaders are called leaders because they're leading a group of people who they need in order to accomplish a goal. So so empathy is super important. So that's the myth. We have to break that myth. Now, let me get to the data. Um, I did the research. I looked at um, my own primary research. I looked at um, tons and tons of literature that's out there. And what it shows is that in almost every situation where there is a successful team, um, let's let's talk about the the Navy SEALs, for example. The Navy SEALs are successful not because they have 
uh, commanders ahead of them that are telling them what to do more effectively than other groups in the military. They're more successful because they learn how to work as a team towards a common goal. They have empathy for each other. In other words, they're actually, they consider themselves all as leaders. It kind of flips the model. Um, I asked, for example, a question, um, a two-part question. Do you feel you work at a company that's innovative? And do you feel that you have a manager who shows empathy towards what you're trying to do or your, your, your goals? And what I found was that not a single employee who worked at an innovative company um, uh, re reflected or, or stated that they didn't have a manager who showed empathy. In other words, empathy, whether it's causation or correlation, I can't say for sure. I need to do more research. But the point is that if we want our teams to accomplish their goals, if we want our companies to be innovative and drive impact in towards the goals that we're trying to achieve, we need leaders that show empathy for their teams. And 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 those those teams are going to be more happy in their in their roles and more happy in their careers. And so that's really why empathy is it, it's not important for leaders. It's absolutely critical for leaders that want to be successful. So you mentioned innovation, and one of the types of leaders, or maybe it's more of a leadership trait that you describe in the book, is the champion leader. Mm. Um, what can you tell us about that concept? Yeah, it's it's. I actually almost titled the book the champion leader and and um you know it, it produced too many yawns <laughs> the folks that i tested it with you know the hence hence the title you know the grab it grab them by the gut you know punch them in the gut kind of title mean people suck um the champion leader concept is is really it's a descriptor uh, uh, you know champion uh, of the of the term leadership because of that myth that leaders think that their job is to is to be authoritative and to be mean in some cases the champion leader it really reverses our common misperception that we need to tell people what to do. The champion leader actually reverses that that concept and and asks their team what they should do. It's crazy. Even you know we've got um, uh, you know a famous leadership quote that we don't hire smart people and tell them what to do, and uh, you know because it, it's that's insane. <laughs> Why right. would you care if you're hiring smart people if you're just going to tell them what to do? Or uh, you know an idiot can do uh, you know can can perform a simple task that they're told. We hire smart people because we want to hear their thoughts. We want to hear what they do. A champion leader is very simply somebody who, uh, you know, for example, in a, in a simple conversation interaction with their team might say, not here's what I want you to do or tell me the status of your projects. But a, a champion leader is going to sit down with their team and say, how are you doing? Uh, how How is the progress that you're making towards the goals that we've set out? Um, how can I help you achieve that goal? And how am I doing as a leader in supporting you? That's a champion leader. It's someone that completely sees their role as supporting their team and achieving a common objective. So we've talked a good bit about empathy as an individual behavior, but in your book, you also talk a good bit about empathy as an organizational behavior mm -hmm. as it relates to you know, how companies treat and communicate with customers or prospective customers. Um, so why is empathy sort of viewed that way good for business? 
Yeah, we're seeing a lot of um, we're seeing a lot of conversation happening. I think now lately about the term purpose, and um, you know some t- some people think it's a little too touchy feely, but the the reason is that there's been for decades uh, a preponderance of data that supports that companies that are focused on a higher purpose more than you know let's say higher purpose meaning not just profits right. um, are actually more successful at generating those profits. And so I'll start with, and I mentioned in the, in the book, one of my biggest inspirations was a book I read, the first business book I ever actually read voluntarily called The Service Profit Chain. It, it was a, a, a Harvard Business Review article in 1993. The book came out in 1994 by a number of authors. And, and what the book simply showed and proved through research was that companies that focus on satisfied employees those satisfied employees create happier customers who stay longer and spend more. In essence, happy employees create happy customers who create happy shareholders because the profits and the stock price go up. That was the first inspiration in the data. The second one was um, was a book by uh, uh, by the former CMO of P&G, uh, Jim Stengel, called Grow. He also showed through an analysis of companies by looking just objectively at their um, at their sort of mission statements, companies that had a mission that was higher than you know had a higher purpose more than profit were more likely not just not just by a little bit but by four times um, more likely to be successful than those who didn't they had a 400 percent higher stock price so companies that focus on empathy companies that focus on empathy for their employees and their customers for the um, sustainability of the planet for you know for the neighborhoods and the communities that they that they work and 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 operate in are simply more successful at generating profit and so this is why I think empathy is so important as a as a value inside company cultures you know another concept you discuss in mean people suck is you know placing the customer at the center of the org chart and I saw that, and it just like kind of smacked me between the eyes. That's that's absolutely brilliant. Why didn't we think of this before? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, how did you sort of come to that um, that realization that that's so critically important that everything an organization does really needs to be you know centered around customers? It may not be formalized in, in terms of an org chart, but it's a very very compelling concept. Yeah, thank you. I, you know, it's it's um, it, it's again. I'm not an organizational design, you know, psychologist or anything like that, and I didn't go to school for those um, those sort of disciplines. But um, it, in looking at well, number one, you know, looking at the 53 jobs that I had and and trying to figure out, you know, why was I never or too few times was I in a position where I enjoyed the people that I worked with, the people that I worked for, the company I was working in. Um, usually, one of those three things wasn't there. Um, and and the the reason that I pointed was almost always the org chart. It was maybe not my direct manager, but the people above him or her that were directing us to do things that I knew wouldn't work. Or maybe it was my teammates who who wanted to but couldn't work collaborative, collaboratively with me because their VP was telling them to do something at cross purposes to me. And and. The org chart always got in the way. The org chart is really, I, I think I said in the book, you know, show me an organization with problems and I'll, and you know, I can show you the org chart is the reason for that, for those problems or challenges. Um, so then I asked, well, what would a good, what would a new model look like? And, and, you know, I just kind of drew the, you know, the customer and then drew the, you know, the sort of the departments around it. And it, it looked like a bullseye. And, and, um, you know, I, it's, it's just, I think it's, it's a way for us not necessarily to reorganize, reorganize our, our, 
functions and disciplines and teams around the organization. It's really more of an operating model. Uh, and, and, you know, I mentioned if every, if every function and silo in the organization was asking what's in it for the customer, our companies would radically transform. We would stop doing anything that doesn't drive value for customers. And, and, and we would become significantly more efficient, significantly more profitable, um, because the large majority of us inside organizations are doing what our manager tells us to do. Right. Um, and that may or may not add any value whatsoever for the, for the end customer, absolutely. which is absolutely yeah. at cross purposes to the, you know, to the goal of the organization. So, you know, again, I, I you know, hopefully it um, inspires some folks. One of the things I tried to do in the book is to say, hey, we need to change organizational culture. We need to put empathy uh, as a value. We need to put customers at the center. But how do you do that, whether you're the CEO or you're a low-level employee? And both champion leadership, the the bullseye org chart, um, what's in it for the customer, I think are, are ways that anyone could do it, no matter where you are in the organization. Our guest today is Michael Brenner, author of the book, Mean People Suck, How Empathy Leads to Bigger Profits and a Better Life. Michael, as you were writing the book, and you know we we've, we've talked here uh, about your your 53 jobs, including you know husband and father, which I guess I could add to my list too. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, which is a, a great insight in and of itself. Uh, <laughs> but as you spent time reflecting on all those jobs and all your experience, and you know both the jobs you've had, the both good and bad. You know through the process of writing this book and that reflection. What did you learn about some of the people you've worked for and worked with? And really, what did you learn about yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think anybody that writes a book is, is you know, is in the process of some sort of self-reflection. And, sure. And, um, you know, one of the things that I learned, uh, well, it's funny, on Facebook, for example, a lot of old colleagues, especially people that I reported to, reached out to me and asked if they could get a copy of the book. Uh, a number of folks asked, you know, hey, are you going to talk about this person or that person that, you know, <laughs> we, we all knew was kind of a jerk or something? And and my answer was always the same. It was like, no, I'm not naming names because that would be mean. And, and this is a book that's trying to not be mean. Um, no, the thing that I think the one thing that I learned is that um, the, the, it was interesting that some of the biggest lessons I learned, I learned from those managers that were really challenging. Um, I had one of my most impactful mentors was someone who was considered to be really mean by a lot of other people, although he seemed to like me and 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 really taught me a lot. And and he's actually the inspiration for one of the chapters on how we need to learn. Uh, we need to really learn how to do a better job at defining the business case behind our ideas, defend and tell stories and present our our ideas in, inside organizations. Um, that was one you know one example. Another example was it was a manager who. I think I want to say everyone that's ever worked for this person, you know, pretty much thought I was writing this book about about this uh, this one individual. Um, and and he he or she is also reflected in the book because I learned a tremendous lesson from this individual, uh, you know, about really the value of speaking to your stakeholders um, right. and getting your whole team on board and behind you. Um, I tell the story about how I got fired and how. Um, you know, really surprisingly, and how uh, the the folks that I had worked with came to my defense, and and it, you know, and I won't spill the you know, I don't I don't want to ruin the the ending of the story, but but I was saved by my teammates in a way because I had built rapport with them and and tried to figure out how I could help them, and so I learned a lot from you know those folks that were in many cases the meanest, and and um, you know it's why I, I don't really recommend that if you're in a bad situation that your first reaction should be to 
believe. I, you know, I really, you know, partly wrote this book to empower folks to believe that they can change the situation they're in, to to be in a career that's fulfilling and that makes an impact. And and so that's one of the biggest things I learned is, you know, don't give up too soon. Um, and hopefully, I provided some tools in in the book to everyone that that they could use to try to change their situation for the better. Terrific, really good stuff. You, one of the things that struck me as I was reading your book is, you know, you can be really good at what you do, you can work very hard, and you can apply the golden rule and treat others the way you'd like them to treat you. And, you know, that won't inoculate you from, from having to work for or with jerks sometimes. So I, I guess the the question that sort of accompanies that thought for me is, you know, does treating others with empathy you know, increase the likelihood that they'll in turn treat you with empathy. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I spent a lot of a good part of my career, uh, in, um, in the market research field. And, and one of the things and I, I can never remember the name, I got to look it up. I can never remember the name of this, of this psychological effect, but there is a psychological effect. When you do customer satisfaction surveys, you increase customer satisfaction just by asking for their satisfaction levels. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's it's a you know it's a well known and documented and, and usually you know kind of um, you know uh, moderated kind of, of impact uh, just in, in the fact. Um, but the but the point of it is that when you ask someone how they are doing, you're showing that you care, and they're more likely to be enamored with you, if not you know at least slightly more affectionate, um, or you know at least to think a little bit better of you than they may have before. And so yeah, absolutely. I mean it's you know it, it, there's absolutely a, a, an effect. I think a, a positive one when we treat others with respect, when we treat others with empathy, that that comes back around. And, you know, there's a number of different terms that we could use, whether it's, you know, uh, universal psychic cos- karma or, if it, you know, or, or just, you know, psychological, you know, sort of tests that can be made to show that. But yeah, it's absolutely, I think, um, it, it just common sense that that's going to happen. But I think more importantly, and the reason why I think mean people suck is counterintuitive is that um, we can actually achieve the success we want to achieve by using empathy for others. And, and that, that's why, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book and, and titled it the way that I did is that we're always going to encounter people that are mean, um, but that doesn't have to get in the way of us accomplishing what we want. And it, it shouldn't take us off the, the course that we should be on of trying to treat others with respect and, and to understand, you know, I, I tell the story of, of, you know, if you travel a lot, you, we, you know, travelers love to complain about airline employees. And I mean, airline employees probably have one of the worst jobs out there. So, you know, let's have a little bit of empathy for them. Right. You know, sometimes the person on the other end of the desk that is telling us our flight is canceled, um, you know, oftentimes it's not his or her fault. It's the weather's fault. And, and that's not their fault. And they probably had 100 people yelling at them before they interacted with us. So yeah. let's have a little bit of empathy for these <laughs> poor people. You know, so that's just one example that I, I like to talk about. Um, but yeah, I, in the end, it causes us, I think, to be in a better position, to be more successful. And that's sometimes is, isn't always intuitive. You know, in the book and also over the course of this conversation, you've used the term counterintuitive mm-hmm. uh, a, a couple of times that, you know, empathy is, is a counterintuitive. You call it, In the book, you call it the counterintuitive secret to getting what we want in life. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a downer, isn't it, to think that there are people who really, you know, view empathy as a counterintuitive behavior, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I think I think life in general teaches us, you know, hard knocks uh, teach us to take what you want at at any cost, and that's why I think empathy has, you know, we learn empathy as as you know young, you know, really young children, and we kind of unlearn it as we grow up because you know because of the rat race that life can be, and and so that's why I think it's. It's now become counterintuitive, and you know, I, I even you know, I was talking to somebody early on in the in the ideation around the book that you know, it really is the golden rule. And how do you make a book interesting when all it is is about being nice to people and then following <laughs> the golden rule? And and the point I wanted to make is that it actually helps you to get what you want. It's not just about being a good a better person. Um, and that's what's counterintuitive about it is you know, grabbing what you want might work in the short term, but it doesn't work in the long term. And and at what cost to your own, you know, sort of soul, uh, if you will, uh, you know, to your own kind of conscience, um, do those activities kind of take? And and so that's why I think it's counterintuitive, but it's also it's it's an effective way of getting what you want. And you know, a book on the golden rule might not be as interesting to as many people as you would think, but boy, there sure are a lot of people who would need to read that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> You know, when we uh, when we think about be- a behavior like empathy, um, we may think of it as a leadership behavior, and which, of course, it, it is, you know, as we've talked about here today and you talk about in the book. But I wonder how many people also recognize the importance of treating their bosses with empathy. Uh, you know, we expect bosses to extend empathy to us, but we don't always necessarily reciprocate that. And you talk about that in the book, right? Yeah, it's well, and as someone who I think one thing I've learned is that I, you know, I probably have an innate uh, problem with authority. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy to admit the, uh, the that it's an issue, but um, but I think the point is it, it's one of the things that I, I talk about in the book. Like I, I I tell the story about one of the managers I struggled with and how um, who who is now a friend of mine, and and uh, that person became a friend because uh, I I realized at some point over the course of a lunch or a, a trip, a business trip that, that I had kids and they had kids and we had some common, um, struggles with, you know, with family life and struggling work life balance and all those kinds of things. And started to see that manager that I struggled with as an employee, uh, as a human being that was just like me. And that helped me to really understand, um, and see them with a little bit more empathy. I also talk about how in, in in most of the jobs that I new jobs that I took, I would interview the stakeholders. I mentioned this before, but interview the stakeholders of your manager um, to get an understanding of the pressure that they're under, yeah. and that can have tre- provide tremendous insight on what it takes to help them to achieve what they're trying to achieve. Um, I also talk about the um, uh, you know you can have a cake but you can't tell me how to bake it analogy, which is something one of my managers also taught me, um, and that was. You know, I had to learn at some point to stick up for myself and to say, you know, you want a cake and um, you can't tell me how much flour and sugar and eggs to use. Um, You hired me because I know how to bake really good, delicious cakes. Um, And so I had to learn how to say, listen, I know you want a cake, but I know how to bake it. I have the recipe. I've tried it a thousand times and I'm going to deliver you a delicious cake and that should be good enough um, if the cake is what you really want. And so that's the analogy I try to use is we need to have that conversation with our manager at some point to say, what is it that you want? Now, let me go figure out the best way to get that. And that's a great analogy because uh, as we're recording this, it's approaching the lunch hour and Mm -hmm. uh, all the discussion about cake is making me hungry. So that's uh, (laughs) that's terrific. My stomach's growling as well. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, one more question I want to ask you, and this is a question we ask all of our guests on the Leadership 480 podcast. 
Can you share a moment of leadership that had an impact on you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I, I kind of referenced this earlier, but uh, early on in my career, um, I took a new job and I was working for this 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 uh, I will say he's a, he was a guy, um, and, you know. I, I think some of my best managers actually were women, and I spent a lot of time in the book talking about uh, kind of the female um, uh, strength that that I think uh, uh, shows itself in leadership that I think we all can learn from. Yeah. But in this case, in this case, I was working for a guy that that many people around the organization ran from. I mean, in fear. Uh, he was a tough. He was tough. He was a, a sort of northeast raised, um, you know, n- not necessarily felt like he came from the mafia, but you got that sort of, you know, he was in control of every situation in every room that he was in. Um, and and when I, I I interviewed and then started working with him, and I found him actually to be extremely uh, generous in in his uh, mentorship and. Um, but he was, but he was tough, and and so I, I got this new job, and he, he's you know asked me, well, what are you going to do in, in this situation? I was leading a, a team of folks. We had a new product initiative that had to launch. I had a big budget, um, a tight deadline. It didn't look like we were going to make it. And I, you know, I, I, I mentioned to him I thought we were going to do A, B, or C, and he was like, yeah, okay, that sounds great, but I need you to present this. Um, like, like as if you owned the business. I want to see a business plan. I want you to write it down in a Word document. And so I went out and I remember I was up until about four in the morning one night finishing this document that I was going to present to him the next day. And, and I was shocked at, you know, five, ten years into my career, no one had ever asked me to do that. Um, it was something I had learned back in college, but had never applied in the business world. And I, I just, it was a, it was a, a lesson for me, and it's why I devoted a whole chapter in the book to it. That the 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 skill of presenting a business case, or in fact a formal business plan, in any idea, new business idea, is so important. And it's just not something that we, I, I think, hear a lot about. And so um, I think that, along with the skill set of storytelling. Um, and the ability to learn how to, you know, kind of influence people through storytelling, um, you know, components. That was the big lesson that that that, that leader, that individual, had for me, and and I'll never forget it. And and you know, really appreciate the mentorship that, and the lesson that he taught me. That's really great stuff, and I'm sure all that really has come in handy as you've run your own business over the years. Yeah. And- y- yeah, and it's it's something I actually I do every day. I mean, in the clients that I have, it's you know teaching them how to present the value they provide out to the world without talking about products and services. Um, you know, is both a, the business case for why us, and also it's a big component in storytelling. Making your customers the hero of the story um, is, I think, the eighth chapter of the book. So those two things are something I you know I depl- you know I use in my business every single day. Fantastic. Michael Brenner, the author of Mean People Suck, How Empathy Leads to Bigger Profits and a Better Life. Thanks so much for joining us, Michael. This has been a really terrific hour. Craig, thanks so much for having me. I'm Craig Irons. Thank you for joining us. And I want to remind you to make every moment of leadership count.